Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Kathy Magnuson. She is the owner of Wildwood Learning. As a trainer, coach, and speaker, Kathy has worked with educators and youth service professionals worldwide. She is a licensed public school teacher, social and emotional learning specialist, and certified sources of strength trainer. She has supported young people and the professionals serving them for over 25 years. Kathy has a master's degree in education from the University of Minnesota and advanced training in adverse childhood experiences, creating trauma-sensitive practices, nonviolent communication, and strengths-based education and leadership. She supports educators and youth service professionals in cultivating trauma-sensitive, strength-based environments for all learners. She still works in public schools uh, one day a week. Well, welcome to the podcast, Kathy. Oh, thank you very much, Dana. I'm excited to dive in to approaches that we can help um, use with our students and, um, you know, help and train our faculty in. But we'll start off with the first question I ask everybody. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Wow. Yeah, I like that question because I have been in education for quite a while. And when I thought back on this question, because I know you ask it of everyone, at the beginning of your podcast, what really came to mind was when I was in the classroom full-time teaching and I was a science teacher. I taught both middle school and high school science. I was in a small school that was 60 miles away. So every Mm -hmm. day I was making a 120 mile round trip to Mm -hmm. school and back. And I live in Northern Minnesota. So there were some kind of dicey days there especially during the winter time and spring when it would maybe take me quite a bit longer than an hour going back and forth. And I just was getting that feeling of being burnt out that Mm -hmm. I needed to do something different. And that uh, right now that was not the thing that I wanted to wanted to do. And uh, my husband and I, we were looking at Um, building a family and doing it through adoption. And I knew when we adopted our kids that I didn't want to be traveling those long distances back and forth. So I uh, took a job change. Uh, Mm -hmm. The social worker in school, she knew me quite well. We were good friends. They had gotten a grant in the elementary to do what at that time we were calling cooperative life skills or conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. It was just part time. But I decided that was the right time for me to take a leave of absence, which Mm -hmm. I did, and move into this grant opportunity in my elementary, working with elementary, going from high school and then down to kindergartners was a little bit of a switch, Mm -hmm. but it was good because it leaned right into some of my strengths, which was I love to learn. uh, I love to be connected with others and also uh, ideas, uh, you know, trying out new ideas. And this was a part-time opportunity that I would go into the classrooms for 20 minutes to a half an hour in kindergarten up to, I think, fifth fifth grade, it started out. And uh, 
get to try out some new things. Plus it was learning for me mm-hmm. because I had to learn what an I message was. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to talk about my feelings, which yeah. growing up in a German community family, we didn't talk very much about our feelings at all. Yeah, <laughs> And so it was like a, it was all new learning for me, but that's what pulled me out of that trench of feeling like I was in the throes of being burnt out is just mm-hmm. that job train change and going into a different environment, be at the other end of the school. It was uh, the thing that I needed at that time. Yeah. And I'm glad that worked out because that helped you discover more about um, serving students um, as a you know, social emotional learning and, you know, helping them focus on their strengths and, and, um, you know, how that's led you to what you're doing right now. Right. And I totally get like that whole commute thing. I had about the same commute uh, about five years ago. Um, I've had also, you know, situations where, you know, I've wanted to change from, um, you know, teaching a certain group, um, or age group. Right. And I've had that opportunity to work at K-12, but yeah. Um, so I can relate to, definitely to that experience, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, a lot of us know what trauma-informed practices look like, um, but um, if we're looking at um, different school levels, uh, maybe if you want to speak to your experience at the elementary level, um, how can we tie in resilience? Because a lot of kids, you know, they went through the pandemic and that is a form of resilience, but now that we're a couple years out, um, you know, there's a lot of kids that um, are not, I, I would say from what I'm ex- experiencing on the daily, a lot of kids aren't um, wanting to do hard things, right? So right. they're kind of giving uh, up on that resilience factor and just wanting things given to them. So how can we, mm-hmm. we tie in that resilience piece, um, even through that trauma informed lens? Yeah, great question, because I was just at a conference where we did talk about a lot of what's called post-traumatic growth, those okay. things that can be done uh, in in our the post-trauma, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, we move through these challenges and through this trauma and come out the other side, we're resilient, but are we really growing from that trauma? Mm-hmm. Are we really mm-hmm. growing in our resilience skills? And ta- talking to some early educators earlier this morning, I was having coffee with some early educators, and we were talking about the children who are now coming into preschool mm-hmm. are the ones that were born during 2020. And how just too they maybe haven't had the experiences of in daycare or early childhood because, you know, their parents were working at home or maybe are still working at home. So mm-hmm. they're coming in with all of these uh, different experiences and where our conversation went was towards how much uh, their experience has been through like learning on an iPad or mm-hmm. or that being the babysitter and not having those daycare experiences working with other children or being in that and how that fit, uh, really affects their social and emotional learning growth. And maybe having the parents that weren't quite uh, involved to the level that they needed to be involved because of what was going on in their lives. Yeah. So all of this truly is, yeah, compounding itself. And I think, you know, what, we need to do too at maybe some of the older levels is looking for those successes 
Yeah. I've been in school, uh, working in education, as I said, you know, as a classroom teacher and then moving into social emotional learning, that was 18 years ago. So I've been doing that part of education for a long time. And I just know how deficit focused we are in our education system. We are always looking before those weaknesses and not saying that we don't need to spend time definitely on those weaknesses, but we have that negativity bias. And in our uh, education system, we are very much focused on that deficit learning. So picking out those small successes, be it that the student handed in their paper or got something in on time. I mean, as educators, we think, wow, we don't need to tell them that that's a great job or that, you know, point that out as its success, but maybe we do. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need mm-hmm. to start with those small wins. Uh, and help them to build up that confidence of um, that they can do it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a good uh, reminder of a motivator for kids. Even like I'm seeing that uh, with younger kids, but also high schoolers, right? If you just focus on what they have done correctly and then give them that motivation through positive report or praise, you know, I think a lot of educators forget to give praise and they focus a lot on what kids are doing wrong, right? (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, and as educators too, we're in that environment where we're, there's so much on our plate and it's hard. It's hard when you're not feeling well rested or feeling like you have everything uh, taken care of or that, um, you know, you come home from a day just feeling like your energy I think that's correct. That's when people don't don't feel like um, they they're they're able to serve the kids that well because they're um, tired and um, you know maybe they're working in a tough environment. Right? It can be hard. It can be hard. Yes. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, if people wanted to bring in trauma sensitive and strength based practices into a school, how could they do that, and yeah. how can that support both students and staff? Yeah. And I think, you know, and I believe it really does start with the staff. It Mm -hmm. starts with that feeling of, of being emotionally and physically safe. And if we can feel that in our classrooms and, you know, in our school culture, that makes Mm -hmm. a huge amount of difference because we know from experience and from science that when we're feeling triggered and we have that emotional part of our brain, our amygdala being triggered in fight, flight, freeze, or there's even one called fawn, which is Mm -hmm. kind of a a, more of a people pleasing type behavior. But when we're feeling that we're unsafe, and we're being triggered, and the survival brain, the Mm -hmm. way that we survive is always going to overtake the learning brain. Mm -hmm. So it just that's the way that we've we've done it, that our brain works and so creating any kind of sense of safety within the classroom uh, calm environments routines mm-hmm. helping kids feel connected to both you and their classmates uh, starting out the school with those different activities that help to build that trust and connection mm-hmm. before diving into the academics 
Um, I know when I was a high school biology teacher with my 10th grade class, we, we started our classes with a circle, mm-hmm. especially towards the beginning of the school year. We did a lot of like connection questions and some games and just built that that trust and connection amongst themselves and, and me. And in the long run, that helped. It helped with behaviors. It helped them to recognize that they could uh, trust me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when we had uh, experience in a school within our state that had a school shooting, we had that routine already in place where kids could really, you know, help each other and have that uh, feeling of support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, some of those things are just things that I know it feels like it takes time up front, up front, yeah. which it does. But man, in the long run, it just it helps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. And I want to go a little bit back to that um, focusing on uh, youth strengths. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about trusted adults Um, you know, and there's some schools that do have kind of a running document going and, you know, making sure that kids identify three trusted adults in the building. Um, I've been in schools that do that, but not, it's not necessarily a practice used everywhere. Um, and how, how does that help? Um, like just knowing like, uh, who those trusted adults are and making sure students can identify them. Right. Yeah. And so that they have that and the trusted adult might not be a classroom teacher. Yeah. It might be the bus driver or uh, one of their coaches that come in after, after the school day or a mentor that they have that's uh, in the school or, you know, so it might not always be a classroom teacher because we have all these other adults that are around too. And I think really helping those students to identify that so that they have that person that they feel comfortable going to mm-hmm. and also having um, some way to kind of, you know, check in mm-hmm. right? to have to check in with those kids. Maybe, you know, that something's happening in their family or you heard that a parent or a grandparent or auntie had or uncle had passed away. And being able to just even take a couple minutes at the end of class and say, hey, you know, uh, just wondering how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Are, mm-hmm. Are, you, are you doing okay? So I think us as adults taking that time to just kind of seek those maybe kids out that we know that might be struggling. And mm-hmm. then also in a program that I'm a trainer for, Sources of Strength, mm-hmm. we work with peer leaders. So sending out uh, and finding kids in all of those different social groups throughout the high school or throughout the middle school so that you're not just having kids trained who are maybe the ones that are in everything or all the, you know, we're just in band or just, but having a wide diverse group of kids being trained because we know that especially in high school, that those are the kids the kids are the ones who are going to know what's going on with their friends before us as adults even know. Yeah, yeah. So if we can train them to be those connectors of help, 
train them in ways that, you know, noticing when your, your friend's struggling and uh, making it okay to ask for help, making yeah. that that norm and, yeah. and then being able to connect them to help and to adults that can be there for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think a lot of students are pretty shy and especially if they're new to the school or they're new to the country, uh, they might have a lot of uh, resistance in seeking out that adult um, or they don't know kind of what the avenues are to maybe right. access the counselor or access uh, somebody else who they can share this with. So yeah, um, yeah definitely a strong point. Uh, whether or not a school uses sources of strength, there is something uh, to be said for having those peer leaders. Um, and they can be called in, you know, there's a lot of schools that have something uh, like that. It's just utilizing them throughout the year, not just at the beginning of the year. Right? Right. So, yeah. And always keeping up that kind of connection so that yeah. uh, those folks that are, are struggling know how to ask where to ask for help. And you bring up a good point, right? If you're someone who has a language barrier and, um, are new to the country or or have just moved into a new school district, even catching those kids uh, um, before school starts or at the beginning of the day. I know I was uh, in the school that I work with, I was meeting with the uh, high, sixth grade teachers and the mm-hmm. sixth graders were going up into the up into the middle school. And I said, did everybody make it to orientation? Because, you know, to know how to open your locker and where your classrooms are and they're like well yeah I think so but there were three that weren't that weren't there I said you know you need to catch them right as they walk into the school that Mm -hmm. first day and and make sure that they either have a buddy or make sure that they know where they're going or what's going on or just even connecting with them because they didn't get that at the orientation and Mm -hmm. it's it's scary when you're that age to move into a new section of the, of the school or a new school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about some workshops that you offer and sometimes um, uh, that you might be speaking. Uh, you said you tend to speak at some different conferences throughout the year. So uh, in early spring, um, what are some conferences that you think you might be speaking at and what kind of workshop uh, would you be leading? Yeah. Well, I've been uh, doing some workshops and speaking here. And the one that I have in line in in the spring is the Minnesota Association of Children's Mental Health. I plan to be speaking at that workshop. Also, if you are part of my newsletter, there's a lot of workshops that I do online. And uh, people who are part of my newsletter find out about them. and free ones that I've been doing, just like a little one hour intro webinars that people can come to and sign up for. And I have also had like guest speakers who have come on there and we have covered a variety of different topics from being just trauma aware to what's called the polyvagal theory in education, uh, social emotional learning, Uh, early educators. So I have a variety of people that sometimes I have as guests or sometimes it's me. Mm -hmm. And so that's a great way to, you know, really connect with where I'm going to be speaking next or even just catching me online. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You also have a free giveaway. I'll insert the link about this. 
Um, you said it's uh, five ways to access the learning brain. Um, could you speak a little bit more about, is that an article, um, steps, what would that be? Yeah, so I have like five things that you can use within your classroom. Plus, I have a little video demonstrating them. Mm -hmm. So those five things are just ways that you can start building a routine within your classroom to mm -hmm. help uh, with transitions, to help with calming down. Because if you aren't doing that while you're as a routine or as part of a routine and allowing kids to pick out maybe what works for them and yeah. giving them some options, then uh, when you do have those times of transition or times that you are just seeing that heightened energy in your classroom, you have some tools there that the kids already know and you can pull them out. And so it's just five tools that you can use and start implementing in your classroom right away that can help you. Great, great. Well, we've had a great conversation about uh, social emotional learning, how to uh, work with um, resilience factors in schools um, through that trauma-informed lens. Out of everything we've talked about on the podcast, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Well, what I'd really like them to remember, remember one final thought here is just that that whole strength piece about being brilliant. And yeah. you as an educator, if you're listening to this, you know, what is your brilliance? How yeah. are you bringing that brilliance out? And then, you know, just don't miss that chance to point it out to your students and to other people mm -hmm. on staff. It can make a tremendous difference. Mm -hmm. Well, where can people connect with you, subscribe to your newsletter and find you online? Yeah, you can go to my website, which is wildwoodlearning.com. So it's W-I-L-D-E woodlearning.com. And there you can uh, download and uh, sign up for my newsletter. Also, I, uh, I'm on Facebook on Wildwood Learning. I have a YouTube channel, Wildwood Learning. And on LinkedIn, I'm Katherine Magnuson. Okay. Great, great. I'll make sure I include those in the show notes. Yeah. Well, thank you great. so much. And it was great having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Yeah. Thank you, Dana. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please re leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.